Great to be saved. So this message, this verse actually tells us that if we respond to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, believing the good news of the gospel, we shall be saved. Amen. And I don't know if you realize this, friend, maybe if you've not yet made a decision, but there is nothing more wonderful than going through life, than living every day aware of the fact that you belong to God and that He's in your life. You are right with Him. And if you were to leave this world on that very day or that very moment, there's nothing more wonderful wonderful to have it secure in your heart and your mind that you are saved and that you belong to God. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? It's a wonderful revelation just to know that we belong to God. And I, it is my privilege, even as a young boy, to have grown up in the ways of God, not to have gone away. There was one year in my life when I would say I wasn't where I should have been. But for the rest of my years, and I'm now age 53, isn't it great to be young? I'm now age 53 and I can honestly say I have walked with God all the days of my life apart from that one year. And I thank God that I have been saved and secure for my eternal destination. But I also thank God that I've been saved from so much more. And we were looking at that last night. We were looking at the fact that we are saved from an empty way of life. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, without Jesus, there's no life worth living. Hallelujah. Get responsive to me, friend. I love it when I hear you. Thank you, Pastor Dave. They, without Jesus, there's no way that life can be what it's meant to be. And then we are saved from sin and death. Hallelujah. Uh, as we did last night, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> now, I know m many of us may well experience a physical death. Not all of us will, the Bible says. Not all will die. Some will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And that's my hope and prayer. But if I have to go through the grave, I thank God that although I will pass through the grave, the Bible says I have been saved from sin and death. Hallelujah. I pass through the grave into eternal life in the presence of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And you've heard me talk about my wonderful dad so many times. How much... Uh, peace we have in our hearts because we know where our loved ones have gone. Those who've placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can just say farewell or we'll see you in the morning. Hallelujah. We'll be together again. What a peace. What a joy. What a revelation that really is. It makes you approach uh, uh, someone's passing in a total different way, knowing that we will be together again in glory. And then we are saved from separation from God in eternity. You know, the Bible says to be separate from God is hell. And we don't talk a lot about that nowadays, don't we? We don't. But it needs to be made clear that only by being saved by the power of the message of God's word, by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, can we be saved from separation from God. Hallelujah. And then, although I never mentioned this, let me just say, of course, we are saved for eternal life with God. Isn't that going to be amazing? Hallelujah. And I think the law the years go by, the more keen I am to see Jesus. The Apostle Paul felt like that, didn't he? He said, although it is to be with the Lord is better by far. 
It's better by far to be with Jesus. I have to stay and discharge everything that God has called me to do. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're meant to be still breathing. <laughs> Glory to God. You're meant to be. And friend, the amazing thing is, you know, you're sitting right on the very seat that God predetermined you'd be sitting on. Isn't that marvelous? You could almost turn your chair over and find your name on the bottom. You're meant to be here, friend. And if you're meant to be here, God knew you were coming. And a miracle of God's amazing grace can really happen in your heart. So we're saved. And I understand, friend, it's a complicated world and it really does take a step of faith to come from a place where you've never experienced God to a place where you're encountering Him. It takes a step of faith and it takes uh, someone accepting what God has said by faith in trust. It takes a step of faith to begin relationship with God. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I've never seen God. But I tell you something. I know He's real. I've never seen Jesus. But I tell you something. I know He's real. I've never seen Him, but I can tell you something. I know Him. I know him by faith because the day that I made my decision to accept Jesus Christ, I took God at his word. I trusted his word. And when I turned from my sin and accepted Christ as my Savior and my Lord, I want to tell you something happened on the inside of me that meant I was never the same again. And I know we use that as a cliche now, but I am telling you absolute fact, the day that I opened up my life to God was the turning point for me. And I tell you, I know that my God is real. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is real. God is real. Thank you, Jesus. Friend, you know, there will never, ever be enough natural evidence for you to evaluate and come to faith by an academic exercise. You will never come to faith through an academic exercise. Oh, listen, tell, let me tell you, I understand. I'm a well-read man. I know that there is actually enough what we call general revelation for somebody to look at God's creation and reach the opinion that God has to be. This could not come without there being a creator. An actual fact, I love the vocabulary. I can go into all the Greek and all the Hebrew and all the stuff that you want. But let me tell you, God created all this out of nothing. Ex nihilo. Glory to God. The Bible says he spoke the word and everything we see came into being. Hallelujah. And then he made you and you are the finest of all his creations. Turn to your neighbor, nudge them awake and say you're the best. <laughs> Glory to God. You're the best. Thanks be to God. You're the best. So we don't come to faith through an academic exercise. We come to faith by uncovering the Word of God, by opening this Word or listening to a message or listening to someone share the good news. We come to faith when we respond to God and say yes. There's enough revelation for you to do that, friend, as God speaks to your heart by His Spirit. Then we have to say and acknowledge 
to begin relationship with God, we must take that step of faith. You know the great news I was sharing with the guys uh, yesterday morning? When God created you, He put an element of faith in you. So you do have the ability to respond to God. Oh yes, you have the ability. Even at the moment where there may well be some hostility and rejection, I tell you, God has put the seed of faith in you. You make choices every day. You make faith decisions every day. And those decisions affect your life. And they set things up in the world in which you live. But thanks be to God, the ultimate decision of faith is what can only, the only thing that can change your eternity. So it takes a decision, a choice, a response from the human heart to begin relationship with God. Do you know, I love the fact that God in His wisdom has done something that nobody else could have done or ever do. I love the fact that God wrote His plan of salvation in history. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? That God revealed Himself through His dealings with humanity in the past. Hallelujah. And he wrote his plan and purpose to reveal it to you in history. So the first thing I want to say, friend, is this. Jesus is a real historical figure and there is more evidence for what Jesus has done than any other person in history. We have a true, accurate record of his life the Word of God. Hallelujah. This is a history book, but it's also a living book. And I love the fact that we can go back in time and know that Jesus was a real man, a real person who lived 2,000 years ago. Even Christian, non-Christian historians record the truth that Jesus is, was a real person and that he went about preaching the message that I am preaching today, the message of the gospel. He claimed to be God and he claimed to come from God. And that is absolutely fact. He challenged the religious leaders of his day. He went about with a band of brothers, 12 of them, and he went about preaching the same good news you are hearing today. The history books tell us that Outside Jerusalem on a hill, he was crucified 2,000 years ago. The history books tell us that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and the stone was rolled over the entrance and guards were placed outside the tomb. This is not just in the Bible. This is an accurate historical fact. This is real. It occurred and it happened. The Jewish historian Josephus records that his disciples claimed that after three days he rose from the dead and hundreds of people saw the risen Savior as he revealed himself in the city of Jerusalem. And at the same time as Jesus, risen from the dead, was revealed, the very graves that some people laid in were opened, and many were risen from the dead as a foretaste of the ultimate resurrection that the Lord will bring about at the end of time. And the authorities heard that message, and they knew what was being said. And so they bribed the guards to make up the story, saying that the 
followers had stolen his body. This record is not only in here. It is also in history books. It's fact, friend. So we can say this morning... With thousands of believers, we know that Jesus is a real historical figure and that he lived and died and rose again. It is fact, friend, and we can look at it and we can believe it because there is enough evidence for us to reach a position that God is real and that Jesus did live and die and rose again. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is a real figure from history. Do you know, I love what uh, Peter says when he speaks to the crowd. He says, you know, we have not followed cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We did not make this story up. We didn't make up a message so that we could have church and pull a crowd together. Something happened 2,000 years ago in history that has meant that every person who turns to the Lord Jesus Christ can have a new, living, vibrant relationship with God. And I thank God it is still possible today. Thousands of believers around the world have found that every word that God has said is absolutely true and I am living proof that Jesus is risen from the dead and is Lord. Somebody say hallelujah. Glory to God. And then secondly he is real. Jesus is real in our hearts today by his power. I thank God that I don't just believe in a historical figure that remained dead like any other false god. I thank God that my Savior is risen from the dead and he is Lord. We have been made alive with him. I love the fact that no matter how strong opinionated and how many varying views and how much multi-faith there is and liberal thinking that is going on outside there, I love this truth. The fact is that nobody can rob from me what I know in my heart and I know in my spirit that Jesus is Lord and that he is risen from the dead. And when I die and pass from this life, I'm going to be with him forever. Hallelujah. That nobody can take away from me. If you found Christ, friend, there is something on the inside of you that gives you that quickening witness that you know, that you know, that you know. Oh, glory to God. I'm going to preach you Pentecostal whether you like it or not. Isn't it an amazing thing that when a person turns to God and takes their step of faith, God doesn't just give them peace in their heart and in their mind. Oh yes, it comes. But God does something so much more than that. The Bible says, when anyone turns to God, he becomes a child of God. There is a lot of confusion out there because people think, well, every human being is a child of God. And we are in the sense that he is our creator. But we are not all in the sense if we have not made a decision of faith to trust him. And I love what Romans 8, 15 and 16 says. Would you like to open your Bible? We should open our Bible on a Sunday morning, shouldn't we? Come on, church. <laughs> 
I love it on the screen, but I also believe we should open the Bible. Hallelujah. Bible says, do not stop the public reading of the Word of God. So we're going to do that together. Paul, have you got the verse on the screen? But I love to open the Word. Thanks be to God. And it's good to see it accurate in the Word of God. So, shall we read this verse, these two verses together? Are you ready? Let's read it out loud confidently. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that wonderful? That actually means that when you place your faith and your trust in Jesus, something literally happens on the inside. That God comes in by the power of His Spirit and puts a witness inside you and confirms to you that you have become a son and heir of the Most High God. The Spirit of God Himself will confirm to you that you belong to Him. When you take a step of faith, the Bible says this inner conviction, this testifying, this assurance, this confirmation on the inside of your heart will take place that you belong to God. The question is, have you that assurance today? Has the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of His Spirit, come into your life and come into your heart? Jesus said, rivers of living water shall flow from deep within. They will well up to eternal life. It speaks about a deep awareness, a confirmation of God's life flowing on the inside of you, in the depth of your heart, so that you will know that you belong to God. I love the fact that nobody can take that away from me. Hallelujah. Nobody. Whatever happens with our government, whatever happens with our finances, and an awful lot is happening. Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, ver no. <laughs> whole lot of shaking. Listen, it's going to get worse. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I thank God that we have an ability that we receive from Him to be able to trust God, take God at His word, take a step of faith and say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. Would you come and do something in me so that I can be changed? I want my life to change for the better forever. And forever is the key word in that sentence. Because I shared last night, didn't I, that unless there is an eternal change, we can never just see an improvement in our world and in our life. We want to see God do something eternal in our hearts and in our lives. So friends, how awesome it is. Nobody else's unbelief, nobody else's doubt can rob you of what you know because of the confirmation of God in your heart and in your spirit. So Jesus is a real historical figure, but Jesus is real and is also living in me. Do you know, I love the fact that God didn't just give us a spirit, in His spirit in the sense that we have a right attitude or a right heart. That's important. We have a right attitude and a right heart. But I cannot stress enough 
this morning that when anyone turns to God and takes their step of faith, the Bible says that God does come into that person's life, into that person's inner being, and occupy. Hallelujah. He's right there in the inside. And I know it, and I know it, and I know it. Hallelujah. And it's wonderful to be able to live life with that knowledge of belonging to God. So Jesus is real. And he's living in us. Is that your situation? Is that real for you? Is that where you really are? Before this morning closes, together, and I include myself in that, we can make a faith response to God. And take God at his word and trust him. And then thirdly, friend, Jesus can make himself known to you this morning. You remember in John chapter 3, there was a religious man who came to Jesus asking questions. Jesus said to him, unless we are born by the Spirit of God, we will never see the kingdom of God. And of course, he asked lots of questions. How can this happen? How can this be? But Jesus made it absolutely clear that unless we are born by the Spirit of God, as I've been talking about, we will never see the kingdom of God. Let's ask the question now, what happens or what has to happen when someone is born by the Spirit of God and enters the kingdom of God. Firstly, I believe there are several facts that have to happen. The first thing that has to happen is this. That person needs to become seriously aware of their sin and their need for forgiveness. I do not believe a person can truly be born again unless they are conscious of their own sin and their own need. And sometimes when I'm preaching before a congregation like this, I become so aware of the fact that actually it is possible for someone to listen to every word I say and mentally say yes, yes, yes. But don't we agree tonight that the only way a person can be changed by God forever only way that can happen is if God reveals our sin and our need. And I remember as a young man, and it's never left me, and I think this is one of the things that God uses in my life to keep me in a place of brokenness and weakness and vulnerability sometimes. I believe what God does is He reveals our need and our desperation for Jesus. And I think sometimes that's what it takes. I talked last night about the occasions when in the Welsh revival, men and women would be just walking down the street and the Spirit of God would so convict them of their sin and their need right where they were in the muck and in the gutter. They would drop down to the knees and they would say, Lord, I have sinned against you and without you I am lost. Why don't we see that today? Because we begin to become so arrogant and so clever 
And we want it all in nice little packages. Nice little sermons and messages. Introduction, three points and a conclusion. And I'd do it myself. Surely, if we are going to see men and women truly born of God by the Spirit, and we call that conversion, we call that someone being saved. That's the vocabulary we use. But I could never persuade you to receive the Lord. I believe the first thing that has to happen is I become aware of my total desperation. And I remember as a young man, and you've heard me say this on this platform before, and I'd followed Jesus even as a little boy and as a little child, but at the age of 18, I was coming home from work. And God showed me my need and convicted me of the sin in my life at a level that's never left. Oh, I'm walking with Jesus. Let me give you an assurance. I'm walking with Jesus. Every day I'm praying, Lord, keep me holy. Keep me pure. Keep me right. Fill me with your love, Lord. To be a true man of God. When I put my head on the pillow, I want to tell you, this is my normal practice. Normal, everyday practice for me. When I put my head on my pillow, I say, Lord, if I don't wake in the morning, let me be with you forever. I confess my sin and my need. Be my Savior and Lord. That isn't because I lack assurance. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I think we are all aware of our total dependence upon God. You see, no matter how good you are, you will never be good enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, you might be good, but you're not good enough. <laughs> Glory to God. Mr. Soundman. <laughs> he nearly did, didn't he? <laughs> Oh, bless God. I tell you, God loves you so much. And that's the miracle, isn't it? What an amazing miracle. I'm desperate for him. You're desperate for him. You might not even know it today, but you are, friend. If you're still in your empty way of living without God, you're desperate for him, but you don't know it. But here's the miracle. He is desperate for you. God is desperate for you. Sing that song, don't we? I'm desperate for you. Whenever I sing that song in the back of my mind, and thank you, Lord, you're desperate for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I believe we need to become aware of our sin and our need for forgiveness. Do you realize that this morning? Is that really where you are this morning? And then secondly, I believe a person needs to once and for all accept without question and doubt that when Jesus died upon the cross he paid the price for your sin once and for all without doubt believing in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord hallelujah isn't it marvelous to settle that glory 
absolutely marvelous to settle that in your heart and your mind. The question this morning, have you been brought to that place where you can say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. And then I believe that that person has to be willing to respond to God. This is not a vague, empty view or opinion I am talking about. This is an action that we are prepared to take. That we are prepared to do something about the sin in our lives and the mess that we have made. And that we are prepared to respond to God, not in the way that we think we should, but in the way that He has taught us to respond. When you think about it, once you come to the realization in the place where you accept that God is real, the moment you accept that God is real, then that acceptance demands a response. And how we respond to Almighty God, we have to come His way, not our way. If you were invited into the presence of the Queen, before you entered her presence, you would be instructed how to approach her. You would be instructed what to do when you arrive in front of her. You would be told what movements, physical movements and hand gestures are acceptable. And you will be even told what words to say. Fact. When you come to respond to God, we cannot make up our own mind how we think we should respond to God. God helps us and enables us to respond to God. That doesn't mean that God won't hear the cry and the longing of your heart. Oh, yes, He does. But He has made it absolutely clear how we should respond to receive by faith. I wonder if you'll take that action this morning. How do we pray a prayer that will save us? How do we pray a prayer that will change life for the better forever? How do we pray a prayer that will transform our destination in eternity forever. Up on the screen behind me are coming the verses that I am including in every message I preach in this weekend. And here they are. I love these verses. I never fail to use them when I lead someone to Jesus. And can I say I have been greatly honored to lead thousands, even on a one-to-one -one basis, yes, thousands in the school playground, in the street, on the doorstep, in the home, and finally in the church. On their deathbed, holding their hand as they communicate their last words. This prayer, the prayer that changes everything. I know that's linked to the prayer of Jabez, but to me, this is the prayer that changes 
everything. Because God doesn't want to improve your world or improve your life or just improve your career or prosper you financially. Oh, he will love to do all those things, but that is not God's priority for you. God's priority is that we are saved and we serve him. So this is the prayer. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Let me tell you about Terry. Terry is a 62-year-old man. And at the moment, he probably has a few weeks to live. He's not part of the fellowship where I serve. But no matter who approaches Terry, even though he was brought up in a Christian home and has known the message I'm preaching all his life, he flatly refuses to accept the forgiveness and the grace of God. Let me tell you about Sam. Sam came to our fellowship an alcoholic about 18 months ago and was gloriously saved and set free, totally delivered from alcoholism. But her past caught up with her. And I officiated at her burial service. I held her hand alongside her partner as she passed into the presence of Jesus. The ripples and the effect of that girl's testimony reached at least seven who are now part of the fellowship where I serve God. Gloriously saved. Three of them were alcoholics who have been totally delivered and set free. Let me tell you about Nicola. Nicola was a 25-year-old girl, wonderful girl, and she died in my arms with her mum and her nan and my wife Miriam just holding her gently. About 16 months previous to that, she walked through the doors of our church one Sunday morning with her mum. Neither of them had ever placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I preached a simple message not unsimilar to this. And at the end of that service, a miracle happened. Nine people came to Jesus on that one Sunday morning. It was a baptismal service. And where there is water, I always ask. Even those after those who've been baptized and we knew they were going to be baptized, we have tracksuits at the bottom back of the building ready. When the tank is open, if anyone comes to genuine saving faith in Jesus, I'll baptize them. As long as they say they'll be in the foundations group on the following Tuesday. <laughs> that young lady 
made a decision of faith. And I stood in the tank and baptized her. That was the only opportunity she would have ever had to have been baptized by total immersion. Because after that, that following week, they put all the medical things into her body because she was riddled with cancer. And she wouldn't have been able to be submerged underwater. Isn't God amazing? The ripples and the effect from that one life, I can tell you, I know of ten that are in the church where I serve that have come to Christ as a result of that girl's testimony. With all the pain and with all the anguish and all the feelings and all that we walk through, the, the things that surround those things, God in his miracle grace has granted new beginnings for so many people. They didn't come because of sorrow. That may well have been the thing that brought them through the door, but I can tell you, they have made genuine decisions of faith because they're still walking with Jesus. Many of them set free from life-controlling issues and problems. I had a text while I'm staying with my great to see my precious friends, Rob and Lorna here. I love these people. Rob and Lorna, I can't thank you enough for your love and service to me. Ripples and effects from that wonderful young lady. I know of at least 10. And I had a phone call, a text, sorry, from one of the young ladies who gave her life to Jesus. And her boyfriend, she was living with her boyfriend. Isn't it complicated nowadays? Who'd be a pastor? What do you do with that? Do you get all religious and dogmatic and beat them up with a Bible and say, you've got to sort it out like now. <laughs> Otherwise you can't come. <laughs> No, no. Or do you let grace overflow and wisdom overflow? And so that young lady came to the Lord about 14 months ago. And we've been speaking into that situation, speaking into that situation. And just a week and a bit ago, her young man made a decision for Jesus. I had a text yesterday. He's asked me to marry him. I'm going to do the wedding. <laughs> Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? This is the kingdom of God, isn't it? Isn't that the kingdom of God? It really is. What about you? Where are you today? What position are you in? When you put your head on your pillow tonight, Have you prayed the prayer so you could say, Lord, if I don't wake, I'll be with you forever. And that's the message that God laid on my heart for today. And I know God was saying to me, ask it simply. Ask it plainly. Ask it as it is. Is there any reason why you cannot say yes to Jesus today. He's put faith in you. He put what you need inside to say yes. But maybe you never have. Now in these next few moments, I'm simply asking, if you're aware of your need, 
and aware of your sin. If you can believe and say, yes, Lord. I'm not asking you to have it all theologically sorted out. But if you can say, yes, Lord, you can pray the prayer that will change your life for the better forever. And you can receive the gift of eternal life. The way we're going to do that this morning is we are simply going to bow our heads. We're going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you if you will say yes. And all I want you to do is pop your hand in the air or look up at me and make sure I've seen you. I'm not going to embarrass you. God loves you and we love you too much to embarrass you. But we can go public about our decision of faith to say yes. And it could be this morning you also know that actually you made a decision, but really not a lot has happened. And you want to say yes again to Jesus. Say, Lord, put your spirit inside me in a real way. How do we do that? We acknowledge our sin. We turn away from our sin without God, our life without God, and we say, Lord, come in, forgive me, cleanse me. As I pray this prayer, I receive by faith in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads together. Let me pray for us first of all. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the message that has been delivered. Your word says as we preach your word, it will bring a harvest. And so, Lord, we ask that everyone in this room, as we take these few moments in the stillness of your presence, to hear from you, Lord, will you enable those who've never prayed this prayer, never meant it from their heart, would you enable them to take the step of faith and trust you and find you? Lord, we pray that every person that will say yes today will have the confidence to put their hand up and to let me know so we can rejoice together in the name of Jesus. Amen.